Section 49 of Stories from the Operas by Gladys Davidson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Beth Thomas. Wagner. The Nibelung's Ring. Der Ring der Nibelungen. Part 4. The Twilight of the Gods. Die Goethe Dämmerung. When night-time fell, after the meeting of Brunhilde and Siegfried, the three Nornir, or Fates, appeared on the Valkyrie's fire-encircled rock, and crouching amidst the rugged stones began to sing as they spun their golden cord of the runes of destiny. But although the radiant lovers slumbered sweetly in a neighbouring cave, and all the world around seemed calm and peaceful, the weird song of the three dread sisters was full of gloom and sadness for they knew that owing to the fatal power of the Nibelung's curse, disaster was about to fall, not only upon these lovers, but also upon the dwellers in Asgard, whose doom was quickly approaching. Suddenly, as they sang, their rope of destiny broke asunder, and with wild, despairing cries the three Nornir disappeared, knowing now that the twilight of the gods would soon begin. The night wore on, and when daylight appeared, the lovers issued from the cave, Siegfried in full armour with his mighty sword girdled about him, and Brunhilde leading her horse by its bridle, for the beautiful Valkyrie would not keep her hero, dearly though she loved him, from gaining glory and honour in the world. And Siegfried, having already learned much of her divine wisdom, was now about to set forth in search of fresh exploits and adventures. For a parting gift to his love, Siegfried placed his magic ring upon Brunhilde's finger as the sign of their troth, as yet knowing naught of its fatal power, and Brunhilde in return bestowed upon him her noble horse, Grani. The lovers swore to be true to each other, and then, after a passionate farewell, they parted. After many wanderings, Siegfried, following the course of the Rhine, came to the hall of the Gibichungs, or the Burgundian tribe, here a powerful king named Gunther reigned and with him lived his beautiful sister Gudrun and their half-brother Hagen, whose father was none other than the wretched gnome Alberic. Now Hagen, though so keen-witted as to be the chosen adviser of his royal half-brother, had also inherited the evil qualities and greed of his gnome father. And hearing of the approach of the hero Siegfried, whose wonderful exploits were by this time world-renowned, he laid a cunning plan by means of which the Gibichungs might win, or at least share, the fearless one's power and wealth. Relating the story of the fire-encircled Valkyrie, he pointed out to Gunther that Brunhilde would make him a radiant bride, and that if Gudrun could be wedded to Siegfried, they would thus secure the Nibelung's treasure, which would gain them the mastery of the whole world. He suggested that in order to carry out this plan, they should give Siegfried, on his arrival, a magic draught they possessed, by means of which he should forget his love for Brunhilde, and conceive a passion for Gudrun. And Gunther and his sister, being dazzled at the prospect of being so nobly mated, gladly agreed to the scheme, whilst Hagen, cunningly keeping back his knowledge of Brunhilde and Siegfried's vows of love, rejoiced because of the opportunity that would occur for securing the treasure he coveted. So when Siegfried arrived in the Gibichung's land, he was met on the banks of the Rhine by Hagen, and conducted at once to the royal hall and here he received a joyous welcome from King Gunther and his fair sister. 
Siegfried was greatly pleased with his kindly welcome, and when Gudrun presently offered him a well-filled drinking horn in token of friendship and hospitality, he gladly drank off its contents to the health of his beloved Brunhilde. But the magic love potion had been mingled with the draught, and no sooner had he set down the horn than the likeness of Brunhilde faded from his mind, and all memory of his love for her became a blank. It seemed to him that the fair Gudrun was the first maiden he had ever beheld, and a passionate desire to possess her suddenly grew up within him. Gudrun beheld his ardent glances with great joy, for an answering love had quickly sprung up in her own heart for the noble hero before her. Taking her willing hand in his, Siegfried led the maiden who now possessed his whole heart to her royal brother and eagerly requested her hand in marriage and to this Gunther gave his consent, on condition that the Valkyrie Brunhilde was secured as a bride for himself. Siegfried gladly agreed to go through the fire once more, and to woo Brunhilde for his new friend. And when the two had sworn an oath of brotherhood, they set out together to begin their enterprise at once. In a royal bark they sailed down the Rhine a certain distance, and then, when the Valkyrie's rock came in sight, Siegfried bade Gunther remain in the boat, whilst he himself went forward alone to climb the mountain. By means of his tarnhelm, or wishing cap, he took on the form and appearance of Gunther, the two having agreed that the martial maiden must be wooed and won by Siegfried in the likeness of the king. And promising to be loyal and faithful to his oath, the young hero began to climb the rocky height. Brunhilde had just received a visit from her Valkyrie sister, Valtrauta, who had come to entreat her to restore the Nibelung's fatal ring to the Rhine nymphs once more, as the only remaining hope of saving the dwellers in Asgard, for Wotan had now gathered the gods together in Valhalla, around which he had caused to be piled a forest of faggots from the world's ash tree, hewn down at his command and all was silently and sadly awaiting their approaching doom, the dreaded twilight that meant for them destruction. The only glimpse of hope now left was for the mighty ring to be returned to the Rhine, whence its curse upon men and gods would become void. And on learning this from the beloved Allfather, Valtrauta had mounted her war-horse and flown at once to her fallen sister, who she knew possessed the ring. But Brunhilde, cut off as she was from the joys of Valhalla, would not part with her love token, which was more precious to her than all the dwellers in Asgard, and in spite of the passionate entreaties of Valtrauta, she utterly refused to give up the ring. Finding that her pleading was in vain, the despairing Valkyrie was compelled to depart, and no sooner had she gone than Siegfried, in the form and garb of Gunther, sprang fearlessly through the zone of fire, and advancing towards Brunhilde, whom he regarded as a stranger, announced calmly in a disguised voice that having braved the flames he had come to possess her as a bride. Full of horror at being thus wooed by a stranger during the absence of her hero lover, Brunhilde shrank back and indignantly refused to yield herself to this bold intruder, receiving strength from her magic ring. But upon her talisman being wrested from her by the superior force of Siegfried, she became powerless and was compelled to submit to his will. Siegfried now led her to the cave as their bridal chamber, but mindful of his oath and loyalty to Gunther, whose wooing he had so strangely undertaken, he laid his sword needful between them. Next day at dawn, the disguised Siegfried took the bride he had won for another by the hand and led her safely through the flames and down the mountainside and on being met at the riverside by Gunther, he instantly vanished by means of his tarnhelm and transported himself to the Gibichung's hall.
So when the true Gunther took her by the hand, Brunhilde regarded him as her wooer of the night before, and the pair entered the bark. Now, during the absence of Gunther and Siegfried, Hagen had been visited in a vision by his gnome father, Alberic, who besought him to seek quickly an opportunity to kill Siegfried, and so secure from him the magic ring by means of which the Nibelung might regain his lost power. And Hagen gladly agreed to use his craft for this purpose. When Gunther returned with Brunhilde to the Gibichung's hall, great preparations were made to celebrate the two marriages in splendid state, and all the vassals and warriors quickly assembled to join in the revels. All this time Brunhilde had remained submissive and downcast, but now, on entering the hall with Gunther, and finding herself confronted by Siegfried, who led Gudrun by the hand, she started violently and gazed on him with utter astonishment. Suddenly observing the magic ring upon his finger, the true identity of the bold wooer who had intruded upon her rocky fastness flashed through her mind, and full of furious anger at the discovery, she announced to all the company that she had been betrayed, and that Siegfried, in his wooing of her in disguise, had dishonoured their king. Siegfried fearlessly defended himself, declaring that he had been loyal to his trust, but his explanations were designedly confounded by Hagen, who, for his own evil purposes, used his cunning wit to persuade all that the great hero had indeed acted as a base traitor. Siegfried, however, having a clear conscience, still declared his innocence, and taking the hand of Gudrun, whom he now loved passionately owing to the effect of the love potion, he led her gaily to join in the revels, followed by most of the company. But Brunhilde and Gunther remained in their places, overcome with indignation, still believing Siegfried to be false. And seeing them alone, Hagen joined them, and with cunning words strengthened their suspicions and persuaded them that it was their duty to avenge themselves for the ill that had been done them. He at last obtained their consent to the murder of Siegfried, which he agreed to carry out himself at a hunting party next day. And having arranged this, they rejoined the revellers, and the wedding rejoicings went forward once more. Next day, a grand royal hunt was organised, and Siegfried, in eager pursuit of prey, found himself at one time alone on the bank of the river. As he stood there a moment, gazing into the water, the three lovely Rhine maidens, Flosshilda, Voglinda, and Velgunda, swam towards the shore and gave him glad greeting, knowing that this was the great hero who now possessed their long-lost treasure, and in coaxing tones they entreated him to restore the magic ring to them. Siegfried, however, refused to listen to their pleadings, even when the nymphs told him that if he retained it longer, the talisman would quickly bring death upon him, and as the Rhine maidens swam away disconsolately, he laughed aloud at their warning. At that moment, Gunther, Hagen, and the rest of the hunting party joined him, and sitting down to rest upon the river bank, the huntsmen began to feast and make merry together. To amuse his new friends, Siegfried began to tell them the story of his life and adventures. But just as he was relating how he had scaled the fire-encircled mountain, Hagen crept softly forward and suddenly stabbed him in the back with his hunting spear, announcing to the dismayed onlookers that the deed was done in retribution for the hero's betrayal of their king. Siegfried sank to the ground immediately, and the effect of the magic potion of forgetfulness waning as his lifeblood welled forth, all his old love for the beautiful Valkyrie he had so innocently betrayed returned to bless his last moments, and with Brunhilde's name upon his lips he died. The dead hero's body was quickly borne back to the royal hall, and when fair Gudrun beheld the lifeless form of her husband for a day, she fell senseless to the ground, overcome by despair. 
Hagen and Gunther now began to quarrel as to which should possess the magic ring, and in the furious fight that ensued, Gunther was killed. Loud cries of woe quickly arose, and in the dismay and confusion that followed, Brunhilde hastened forward. At the sight of the dead Siegfried, she was filled with utmost grief, and learning from the reviving and sorrowing Gudrun of his innocence, and remembering naught but her passionate love for him, she firmly resolved to perish with her hero. In a commanding tone none dared disobey, she silenced the noise and confusion around her, and bade the warriors instantly to build up a funeral pyre upon the banks of the Rhine. And when this had been done, the dead body of Siegfried was laid upon it. She then tenderly placed his magic ring upon her finger, and seizing a lighted torch set the faggots ablaze. She now understood that through her alone the sin of the great Allfather must be atoned for, and that by her sacrifice of love the world should be redeemed. The curse of the ring would also be removed by her death, for with her ashes the fatal gold would be restored to the Rhine. Thus nobly resolving to sacrifice herself, she desired two ravens hovering near, the messengers of Wotan, to return to the great god so sadly awaiting his end, and announce to him that his destiny was about to be fulfilled, and also to bid the god Loki, who still guarded the rock upon which she had lain in a charmed sleep, to depart with his fire to Valhalla. She then mounted her faithful steed Grani, and as the flames sprang brightly upwards, leapt high with him into the midst of the burning pyre, and perished beside the corpse of her hero lover. As the flames died away, the river suddenly rose, and overflowing its banks, covered the remains of the funeral pyre, and at the same moment the three Rhine nymphs swam up to secure their gold. Hagen made a last frantic effort to reach the talisman by plunging into the flood, but being seized by the nymphs, he was dragged beneath the waves and drowned. So the Rhine maidens at last regained their precious treasure, and the curse of the ring was removed. But the dwellers in Asgard were doomed, for Loki had already accomplished his mission. Suddenly, a fiery crimson glow appeared in the heavens, ever spreading and increasing to a dazzling brilliancy. And as the warriors and mourners gazed with awe upon this wondrous sight, they saw that Valhalla, with all its glorious array of gods and heroes, was already engulfed in an ocean of leaping flames. The twilight of the gods had come. End of section 49